You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash missionlog. Don't forget to use our link at expressvpn.com slash missionlog to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Supplemental number 74, The Nostalgia Factor, the one recorded live in Las Vegas. Welcome in to another supplemental episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. And we have something very, very special for you on this show. We do. As pretty much everybody knows, we get to, at least once a year, go to a big old convention and get on stage and have a conversation, sometimes with ourselves, sometimes with friends slash guests, and always with you, our listening audience. And many of you were there in the room with us at this most recent STLV in Vegas. And uh, what was the topic du jour, Norman? So the topic for our conversation at STLV is nostalgia. And nostalgia has a variety of different ways that can be applied to our fandoms. And in our panel, we looked at it from what does it do to the overall fandoms that we love? Yeah. So as all of you hopefully know by now, Mission Log itself is still on a bit of a hiatus while we while we hew to the rules of the uh, SAG-AFTRA and WGA strike is currently going on. So now is a very opportune time to present a recording like this one, where we get to talk about factors in the creative development of not just Star Trek, but a lot of other franchises that we know and love. Now, big, big caveat to this. Um, it is a live show, and things happen when you do a live show. Sometimes those are very welcome things that happen, surprises, Mm -hmm. (laughs) special guests. We'll talk about our guests here in a moment. Uh, But also you sometimes get hit with technical realities that you simply can't plan for. And that's just something that's part and parcel of doing live performances where we don't have control of the situation from our own sound boards or sound rooms or personal recording devices. So we do the best we can and What's the old adage? It's better to have than not. So, yes. uh, right. So please right. forgive us uh, if yeah. it's not up to your usual mission log audio standard quality, but we hope you enjoy the content nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. And uh, big thanks to our technical director, Earl Green, who has been able to process this audio a little bit and get it at least sounding better than it would have from its original state. Uh, But, you know, again, I think the quality of the conversation, the content is so good that you'll want to kind of power through it with us. And uh, that certainly will spark a big conversation on Discord and in our later uh, conversations as well. Uh, Special guest this year was James Kerwin, who you have heard before on the show. Uh, He was at our last STLV panel in 2022 uh, up there with Rob Sawyer. So uh, he has some great insights and I I regret that we weren't able to get to all of the questions that came from the audience because there were so many good ones but we were absolutely forced to stay on time. So we did and uh, apologies but again that conversation continues whether it is online or in Discord or when we see each other again in person. Thank you. Hey, look at that. Hey, some familiar faces out there. Welcome, everybody. Those of you who are leaving, turn around, come back. (laughs) Come closer, come closer, don't be shy. Come closer, yes, yes. (laughs) Well, you can bring the seat up. That's uh, there you go. Yeah, perfect. perfect. That's perfect. Uh, welcome everybody. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. And we are Mission Log. You are watching and or listening to a supplemental episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Here live at STLV. You have to say those letters specifically in that order. STLV. Hashtag 
That's the COV. That's for all the social media, for all the X's out there that you're yes. doing. And today you've joined us for a discussion of nostalgia in the, in the production, in the conceptualization of our favorite media franchises. And we thought it would be a great opportunity to welcome back a guest that we had with us on stage last year at STLV, and we've had on the show before, James Cohen, filmmaker, director, writer. Thanks for having me. I'm not sure where I am, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll improvise. <laughs> yeah, you'll improvise, exactly. I feel so nostalgic actually sitting next to James. It, it feels like last year. It does. Exactly. It feels like yeah, last year. Like Bobby Sawyer right there. It looks different. It's a way bigger theater, way bigger facility. <laughs> I'm literally wearing the same clothes I wore on my first panel last year. You are? I feel like I'm on brand. I have changed since then. Okay, good. good. Not changed, changed, but changed. Well, maybe you've changed. Not really, but okay. kind of. Yes. So I love this. You are so well prepared that when we decided upon nostalgia as the topic, you were like, I'm going to use my technology. Well, for those of you who have listened to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, TM, always reserved, yep. we have something that we do called the title game on our show. And it's supposed to, you know, if we have like a, a title that has a double meaning, double entendre, for those of you who speak French or don't, it just sounds sophisticated, yep. what we like to do is to define the topic of the title that we're talking about so that we have a baseline understanding for the conversation. This is so great. It just, it's got a mind of its own. We're literally rolling. We're rolling. We're rolling. So as John said earlier, we are talking about nostalgia today. So nostalgia, as defined by the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, a wistful or excessively sentimental yearning for return to or of some past period or irrecoverable condition. Mm. Excessively sentimental. It's interesting that they include that phrase. Excessively sentimental. Excessively sentimental. Also, colon, something that evokes nostalgia. So this is, this is the setting for the, the topic of conversation by that definition. By the way, have you guys heard of a term? If you take the N off of nostalgia, you have ostalgia. Ost, meaning the East. And after the Soviet Union fell, there were people who lived under that regime for decades and decades of their lives who then entered a phase of nostalgia, ostalgia, for the regime that they lived under from the East. And it spawned this whole industry of people making products that disappeared when the Soviet Union fell. And there was like a whole cottage industry of this, which you can find on the internet, look up ostalgia, and even if people's lives were objectively worse under a particular system, they still yearned for those, those touchstones that connected them to that way of life. This feels like one of those gullible games where you're going to see how many people are gullible enough to actually follow that. It truly really is a, uh, a thing, and there was a movie that, that, that typifies that called Goodbye Lennon, uh, and they, they really dig into what that feeling was, was like, but in a very personal kind of way. And not just yearning, John, but excessive yearning. Excessive yearning. As defined yeah. by Merriam-Webster. Right. So as we get going here, we want all of you to think about the ways that nostalgia maybe helps or hurts your enjoyment of the franchises that you like. And, you know, look, we do a show called Mission Log Around Day Star Trek Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Hold your applause, please. please. Um, applause. Applause. Uh, but we are also fans of many other things. James Bond, Doctor Who, Indiana Jones, Star Wars, uh, Hawaii Five-O. Right. Magnum P.I. Magnum P.I. Right. There you go. Um, and we feel like all of those are uh, good areas to discuss our topic today and try to come down with, oh, wow, sexy. Am I having a stroke or? Oh, you just wanted to see me. All of a sudden, James turned into Brick, literally. Like, oh, as like, wow, thanks, Brick. Welcome. Wow, for Bonnie. <laughs> There we go. All right, now back to business here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> she was literally thinking of James. But I want to throw it out there to, to ask you and to ask everybody here in the audience, you know, it, in the sum of all things, do you feel like nostalgia is, it, it is a neutral proposition or it, is it helpful or hurtful? Uh, I imagine that it tempers your entry point into a story. So, for example, uh, I think 
Star Trek Picard, if we talk about that. Season three of that show took a turn that was very different from seasons one and two, and I think they telegraphed to the audience, this is the nostalgia season. Did that make you want to see it more? Did it turn you off from it? Did you try to enter it with sort of an open mind? Like, how did that alone bring you into the show or affect your feelings about the show? Yeah, there's, a, I, I had made a meme, um, and I loved Star Trek Picard season three, um, but I made a meme that had the picture of the, you know, the cast on the bridge uh, from season three, and it said, tried something new, didn't quite work out, went back to basics, and then underneath it's David Tennant coming out of the TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. So. What about you, Norm? I mean, we had this discussion when we were doing Picard, you know, for Mission Log Live, and, and when we break things down, as many of you know, for Mission Log, we look at the morals, meanings, and messages, but we also look at the why, like the, what's the purpose of the story, and what story is being told. And sometimes when we're doing our recaps, you know, we have, you know, many notes, and some of the notes don't make it to the live show, but you and I both have talked about if the nostalgia in the episode or episodes or season was not a stronger factor or was not as prominent, would the story itself be able to hold up by its own merits? Uh-huh. And that's where I think this this whole idea of talking about nostalgia in the, the general pop culture of our fandoms was born. Because we are in a very precarious situation now of leaning into more of nostalgia-driven series or properties or products because they do perform well. But does that mean they are actually good? Okay, well, let, let's talk about, let, let's parse this. Let, let's just break this up. When you say perform well, though, I think there's a huge caveat to that. Because the media landscape now, compared to 10 years ago, compared to 10 years before that, is a completely different animal. So when we say perform well, the metric is that I keep one more subscription on my streaming platform or, or wherever I'm expecting people to watch this. So it's not like 1977 when Star Wars came out and it is the big hitter for, you know, the science fiction movie of May of 1977. That's it. And the box office shows that that's a success. But now the, uh, the landscape demands so many more eyeballs that are getting split up across this vast spectrum that success might be then the safe route to say, okay, we, we've tried one way, we've tried another way, we've tried another way. Oh, if I'm going to hang on to one or two more subscriptions, I need to make sure I get a cast back for this particular show. And I need to make sure that that audience knows we're getting the cast back or I'm going to throw them on the bridge that you know and love so you'll stick around for nine episodes. Well, and, and, and it's it's... That also is combined with the fact, like you were mentioning when we were talking before, that the, the makers of these shows are the kids who grew up watching these shows. The fans have become the showrunners now. And so, I mean, look at like Stranger Things. I mean, that entire show is just like, remember the 80s? Remember the member berries. Remember right. this? Remember that? Like South Park literally like did an entire episode about member berries. So, right. so, um, so that I think is part of it as well. But, but, I guess people are watching. I mean, the the ratings for Picard season three compared to the first two, or, the, or at least the online response to it. Yeah, you can't argue with it. You know, but that's the point, though. You can't argue with it. I mean, the success is there. Right. You have to look at how did they achieve that success. You know, was it by its own merits, or was it by leaning on the properties and the strengths that came before? So that's that's in, that's in part some of the again the trepidation that we have with looking at these newer shows because we want them to be. They want to be new, and we want them to be exciting, and we want them to inspire, and we want them to do all of the things that these series before have done for us to bring us to this moment. But at the same time, though, we want those to be able to stand on their own merits. So when we take a look at these, especially, I can say Star Trek, right? You say Star Trek. I can say Star Trek, especially Star Trek and some of the new seasons. Are we watching them because we are fans, watching fans make their own fan uh, this. Okay. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. And I'm not saying, okay, in the Venn diagram of these, I'm not saying that they're mutually exclusive. Right. right. In the sliver of that Venn diagram, that's the real success where mm -hmm. nostalgia and originality meet. Right. Right. So that's where we want to be, but we don't want to be lopsided one way or lopsided the other way where it's so obvious. 
of that success. The balance is so hard to strike, and like we were talking about before also, uh, fan films tend to fall victim to this. Trek fan films, yeah. which are filled with Easter eggs, or callbacks, or throwbacks, or this reference and that reference, because remember this, remember that. Right. And um, uh, I got retained back in 2014 to write and direct a, on, a, on a fan series called Star Trek Continues. And no. uh, I, no, well no, done, please, well done, please. Yeah. Um, but while writing that show, it was a constant struggle because, you know, you're sitting there thinking, okay, well, we got to go back and, and, you know, people want to see what happened with Atholians. All right. But then also, we can't do that in every episode. People want to see what happened in the mirror universe, but we can't do that in every episode. So that it's that balance that you're striking because if you don't do any of that, people aren't going to tune in. But if you do too much of it, it's just fan service. That's all it is. Right. And that honestly will be a question back to you as you formulate your comments and commentary. Do you feel like you get hit with too much of it, or do you feel like, you know what, this is okay? I'm all right with that. If I know what I'm getting when I tune into Picard Season 3 or a fan film or something else, is that all right? Am I just along for the ride because I want that feeling, I want to see my favorite cast, and all those other details about the storytelling can really kind of go out the window? Maybe. Mm -hmm. That might be all right, because I know that I'm victim to it sometimes when there are shows that I, I just love because I love and I'm not watching them too critically. And you and I have the weird task of having to watch Star Trek critically, and I think that bleeds over into our enjoyment of other things, because you, you watch a show I, you I, want to tune out with, we don't enjoy anything anymore. I want to you watch enjoy nothing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm just kidding. No, but, um, uh, but we were talking about that even as it applies to other franchises. Like, if we go to Star Wars, okay, there is the issue of you have the original trilogy, episodes four, five, six. We'll skip past the middle trilogy for now. You get to the final trilogy, seven, eight, nine, and you go, okay, well, they're, they're doing a remake. We, we just, we understand they're doing a remake, but they're just setting it in a different, you know, 30 years later where they kind of remember it, but don't really remember what happened 30 years ago. And are we okay with that as the storytelling to get us back into that universe? But then along comes TV, and along comes streaming, and you go, well, wait a minute, we can tell all these very narrow stories that maybe do away with some of the trappings, but just get us back into that universe in a more subtle and more satisfying way. And I love that one of you guys brought up uh, the difference between a movie like Rogue One that I really enjoyed because it put me in the universe without hitting me over the head with the characters. Then along comes Solo, put me back in that universe, but you hit me over the head with the characters. <laughs> and I was, I was less inclined to enjoy that movie. I'll tell you that. I, I enjoyed it, but it's not a movie that I wanted to then rewatch and rewatch and rewatch. Fair, fair. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's also the, uh, the aspect of the oversaturation of the brand. Sure. And, the, and you can employ nostalgia in that argument, because if you, Star Wars in and of itself as a brand, or Star Trek as a brand, or Doctor Who as a brand, you know, they have... These are the tentpole brands in yeah. basically pop culture fandom. And maybe you have 50 plus years on average of these brands. So eventually, eventually, they are going to rely on the strength of the, the blaring opening sound, like the first three notes of Star Wars. You know what universe you're in. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows that, right? The yeah. opening notes of Doctor Who, the opening notes of Alexander Courage's Star Trek. Yeah. That in and of itself is nostalgia. If you use that across every single iteration of the brand over the course of five or six decades. So are we leaning into it that way in terms of that's even nostalgic and we can't get away from the success of, this, mm -hmm. of the brand alone? Mm -hmm. You know, instead of moving it completely to a different direction? I mean, that's also part of the equation of nostalgia and how much you lean into that. But, and, and like we were talking about uh, with the TV shows, yeah. I mean, Star Wars is very saturated on television right now. Yeah, very saturated. But you have shows like Andor that feature no characters from the Skywalker saga, yes. really, essentially. Yeah. And it's prestige television. I mean, the guy who did House of Cards is on that show. I mean, yeah. it's really, really, really strong TV. Then you have Obi-Wan Kenobi, which I know a lot of people like. But let's be honest, Obi-Wan was just member berries. I mean, a lot of it was that. It was like, let's yeah. see him fight Darth Vader one more time. Let's see what happens if he meets Leia when she's a kid. <laughs> and let's throw these in there. Let's throw, and let's show him meeting Luke. Oh, I want to see that. So 
to your point is is I think again it's a fine line if you're doing it just because you know you'll get eyeballs if you do it you kind yeah. of think it's cool yeah or are you doing it because it serves the story that becomes my worry with Star Trek and I see one person lined up over there we'll get to you very shortly two people so hang on just one second uh, oh good I can't see people like where are those people oh, yeah there's a mic coming over here uh, but that then becomes my worry about Star Trek which is that Okay, you, within the last six years, take a couple of series like uh, Discovery and Prodigy, okay, and arguably they are ending their runs prematurely, okay? <laughs> take a, I know, I know, sorry, too soon, too soon. Uh, but then you take other series like Picard and Strange New Worlds, and I think all of these shows have strengths and their own merits. But if we're looking at Strange New Worlds or Picard and saying, these are successful, they brought in an audience, does that mean then that the, the emphasis, the focus in the audience is going to be that audience who are there for the nostalgia? Because those are shows that specifically play to our memories of those characters in those contexts. And we're having a very difficult time accepting new characters in a new context. And I want there to be room for all of that because I want us to be here 20 years from now. Yeah, exactly. Having a continued conversation and, and, about and Star Trek. And notice that when they made Strange yeah. New Worlds, this is the, okay, it's going to be episodic storytelling. Okay, yeah. great. Like, it's going to be Star Trek, you know, adventures, exploration. It's not going to be Klingon War. It's not going to be all these things, some things that people didn't like about Discovery. Yeah. It's going to be a new crew, but Uhura's there. Hmm. And Chapel's and there. Chapel. And, right. oh, Guess what? Spock is there, and how Kirk is there. <laughs> okay, for, yeah, and, and that's where it is like step too they far for to me. Do but, that, yeah. Well, and, and that's you know we we kind of prepared for this because we knew we had a lot of things to talk about. But in the course of our pre-discussion, when you add a legacy character whose reputation of thirty plus years in the original role from William Shatner, when that reputation precedes a character, that is what the focus becomes. So anytime a character like a James T. Kirk walks on screen or you hear his name or a mention or a detail, all of the threads that are happening at the time go right back to the legacy character. Why? Because it changes the history based on whether or not he's referenced properly, written properly, or the details go to his character properly, which means it sucks all the air out of the room. Yeah. You know, that character sucks all the air out of the room from the other characters. That means that there's less screen time for Mitchell. Yes, Mitchell is a character <laughs> on Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Or any of the other characters, Kyle. like Commander Kyle, or, 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 or George Samuel Kirk, who's a fantastic character yeah. who's underutilized because, much like in an episode, he looks at his big brother and says, thanks, big brother, for overshadowing me, because he's James Kirk. Right. And see, and that's my problem, I think, that then we sit there and we're just playing the home game, and instead of enjoying the story, we're watching, but well, 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 wait, what is that character doing right that now? Where's the Farragut? It changes or doesn't change this? And, Did and they get it, that right? Did they get that right? Well, right? I mean, the canon's worry about that. If they were, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. We'll be right back with more of the Nostalgia Factor after a word from this week's sponsor, ExpressVPN. You know, John, watching Netflix without using ExpressVPN, it's kind of like paying for a gym membership to this wonderful, you know, and extravagant gym membership with all the equipment, mm -hmm. and with all the accoutrements, and with all the fuss. Yep. But... Only being able to use that one treadmill all the way off in the corner. That's it. Like, not even a shower. Don't even give you nope. the common courtesy of a shower and a fresh towel when you're there. You know? Just that it's, old, sweaty treadmill. That, that's not a gym I want to be a part of. And, and that is an apt description for the problem of using the Internet and using your streaming services without ExpressVPN. Because I'll tell you what ExpressVPN does. It unblocks content. So get this, whenever you fire up ExpressVPN on your device, you can change your location, or at least the location where the services think your device is coming from. So that means you can control where you want Netflix or any other number of streaming services to think you're located. Now, they've got 
a hundred plus different server locations so you can gain access to thousands of new shows and it's not just netflix i mean i've used it before on youtube and i certainly have used it with bbc iplayer that's one of my favorite ways to do it i simply click a button Mm -hmm. and say hey i'm dialing in well dialing in that shows my age i'm connecting (laughs) i am connecting from london or somewhere thereabouts and then i have all of that content unlocked for me simply because of ExpressVPN. Um, And I'll give you another personal uh, use. Now, Norman, you and I, as of this recording, we are fresh back from Las Vegas. We were staying in a hotel, and we get that lovely hotel Wi-Fi. And let me tell you, I had a lot of work to do while we were gone. Mm -hmm. And I made sure every single time that I was connected to that public hotel Wi-Fi that I was connected to ExpressVPN. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. To protect anything that I was doing, you know, my email or a couple of times had to log into the bank. I used Zelle to send somebody some money. And I thought, you know what? This is exactly the reason that I want to express VPN to be connected. And, And it's so easy to do. You simply launch the app, click connect, and you're connected. Couldn't be easier. That's right. I mean, you want the full membership. You don't want the treadmill. You want all (laughs) of the equipment and all of the tools at your disposal to give you the best experience possible, including blazing fast speeds that's streaming from all of your devices in HD with zero buffering. And again, all devices. So you can use your phones, laptops, any media console that you're using, your smart TVs and more, because we know that we have accounts on all and all across our equipment. And like John was saying, the security there. ExpressVPN encrypts your data, and it has the added benefit of encrypting your data so strongly you can browse the web securely with confidence. Yes, so be smart. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash mission log. And don't forget to use our link at expressvpn.com slash mission log to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Let's go to our first question. Coming up. Hi. Oh, hey, uh, backstage, we have the... Oh, that's not nice. Oh, I've got to get closer to it. Okay. There you go. Hey, uh, what's your name? First, My name is Patrick. And Patrick. Hey, Patrick. so much for the conversation. I think about nostalgia a lot, especially as I'm watching season two and I'm of Stranger Worlds, and I'm thinking about Jim Kirk, and, like, why is there so much Jim Kirk? Like, can we see more Mitchell? Can we see more Ortegas? That would be so much more... Ortegas, thank you for saying that. Yes. Yeah. So... So I hear what you're saying, but I'm wondering, as, as y'all are talking about the nostalgia versus, you know, commercial success, and is, is that the standard that we need to apply? Might there be another standard we want to apply to a Star Trek series, which is, does it further the values of the series? Does it further the culture and the, the sort of vibe that all of us that I think come to these conventions share amongst us, perhaps as an ideology? And maybe is it not irrelevant how nostalgic the series is? But is that actually the measure of success of a Star Trek series? Does it further those values adequately or push them in directions, say, that Discovery has done that they weren't before? May I point you to Star Trek Prodigy? Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's that's a good point. And so maybe that wasn't commercially successful enough, but do we still rate it as being a successful series in and of itself and let it stand on its own merits? And I'm not saying I know the answer, but I'm positing maybe as a different way of thinking about it. We could address it that way. I mean, I think that's a great question, and, and uh, Thank you. since you pointed the way to, like, morals, meetings, and messages, like in modern Star Trek series, you obviously listen to what we do on the show. Yeah, right? <laughs> I guess so. But, I, I mean, that's a great standard. If those elements exist, then I think that that's one of the, uh, one of the factors that makes, I think, a successful Star Trek series, if the morals, meetings, and messages indeed are intact. I think that sometimes those are lost, though, in the conversation because of certain elements that are maybe greater than seeing those morals, meetings, and messages, and that's the obviousness of nostalgia because you want to see where these characters that you have loved over the course of generations or decades, where they end up or if they're fitting into the puzzle piece in the exact same way that you need to for the exact same maybe moral meaning or message that they gave before. Let's take quality of mercy at the end of season one of Strange New Worlds, for example. It's balance of terror redo. It really is. I mean, let's be honest. And I'm sorry if it's a hot take for anyone, but that's how I feel about that episode. (laughs) Did we learn any morals, meanings, or messages from that episode? But conversely, did we learn any morals, meanings, or messages from balance of terror? And we did. We understand that the book cannot be judged by its cover, 
the Romulan commander said to the end at Kirk, he was like, if we were in different situations, you and I could have been friends. Star Trek Strange New Worlds told that story again, and they told it beautifully, production value-wise, acting-wise, score-wise, mm -hmm. aesthetics-wise, but they tell the moral meaning and message of Balance of Terror in that story. I don't think they did. Did they credit the original writer? I don't think they I did. Don't think <laughs> they did. Ooh, that's a moral. <laughs> that's a moral thing right there. <laughs> but look, and we also got a remake of Devil in the Dark, and I but, think the moral meaning message was the same. And that's fine. It, it is a story that is worth telling. There are only so many stories, right? That's I mean, true. You writers can tell me: Are there eight? Are there twelve? Whatever. There are only so many stories, and ever since. Oh gosh, human history, <laughs> we've been retelling those stories. But we find unique ways to do so. Um, I, I, I come back to that kind of a question and I go, okay, well, we're a very interesting sample size here because we are Star Trek fans who also decided to pay money to come to a convention to talk to each other about these topics. That is a slice of a slice of a slice of fandom. And if I have to extrapolate out from that and go, okay, well, those are people, there, there are Star Trek fans who watch an episode a week who don't come to this. Or there are Star Trek fans who saw the J.J. Abrams movies, and maybe that's the majority of the Star Trek that they've seen, but they haven't come to a convention. They haven't bothered to watch it. It doesn't mean they're not fans. doesn't mean that they don't appreciate what's out there. But maybe if what they're getting out of it is a spectacular-looking uh, you know, effects showcase with some cool characters in it, that might be enough. That might just be enough. We're tainted by having watched... 800 plus episodes. We did have a caveat to this discussion. I mean, yeah. We're coming at it from the standpoint of, or we're assuming that many of us are coming from the standpoint of having seen 80 to 90% or 100% of the majority of the Star Trek has been cruised, or in the fandom. We're talking about Star Trek in general. Yeah. So we're saying, well, of course, we've seen it all, so we're going to see things eventually become this Ouroboros of fandom, you know, like they're just going to fold in on itself, the, you know, the head's eating its own tail. Yeah. And that's where I feel like we got with Star Wars very fast. Is if you add up the number of cinema hours and the number of streaming hours, it is a tiny fraction of the number of hours in the Star Trek universe. And yet, Star Wars did it just right away. Like, nope, we're going to remake and we're going to just hand feed you all those characters that you know and love, and that's going to be our brand. But even so, though, with the Star Wars universe, you have this you have the same amount of time spent with a, a, a less amount of product made in okay. the Star Wars universe versus the Star Trek universe. So it's almost as if you don't have the same, you have like a larger generational gap between products with yep. Star Wars than Star Trek. Star Trek has, what, from 1987 to 2005, is 18 years worth of continuous Star Trek, and now you have, what, yep. the last five years have been continuous? Yeah. One, yeah. what, one year you and I did like 52 straight weeks of broadcasting <laughs> with Mission Fog Live. Yeah. But Star Wars, you know, you had these large yeah. pockets of time, you know, where I think that with the 7, 8, and 9, you're like, well, we have to reintroduce the Star Wars ethos into hmm. this new generation that of younger audiences yeah. because they don't know. They won't go back to 1970. Well, okay, so in, that case, in that case, so the nostalgia might really be a benefit because... You want the old audience, and you want the old audience to bring their kids, who then get introduced to the same awe and wonder that they had in 1970. Yeah, that was called Star Trek Prodigy, John. Oh, right! Star Trek Prodigy, all right. Let's go to our next question. Welcome, and please tell us your name. My name is Sam. Hi, Sam. Hi. <laughs> Wait, Sam's got a fan club. <laughs> John, we are literally at the bottom half of the hour. We are. Oh, we are at the bottom of the hour. We are at the bottom half of the hour. And it's the same thing. I didn't have anything to say when I showed up, but you got, your conversation just gets my brain going. So right. what I was thinking about is this, the, the, the scale and style of like how much I'm willing to accept Especially in Star Trek, there, it felt like there was a, there was the TV shows, which would just be episode, episode, episode with characters. And then when the movie showed up, like a movie of TOS or a movie of, uh, Next Generation, that was when the scale changed and mm. it was more cinematic. And there were more moments of like, hey, here's Picard, and now he's saying his line, and they kind of zoom in, whereas in the TV show, he just says his line. Like, make it so is never a big deal Right in the TV show once. 
But in the movie, they take the time to be like, hey, now we're on the big screen. And that felt like that was happening for a while. And now it seems like that's just the TV shows today are more cinematic. And they feel yeah. like they're having more of those moments. And so there's nowhere to grow anything new. And it seems like and, and, and to longevity, there's we're not going to have anything to be nostalgic about soon because there's nothing new being generated that's going to become nostalgic. If it's only, uh-huh. if it continually, every episode in every TV show is just references, references, references. That's that, too much. That's where I worry about losing an audience. And, and you know, a few years ago, uh, I remember coming to this convention, gosh, 2012 or something like that. And uh, I think it was at Larry Nemechek's panel asking how many people were there for their first Star Trek convention and how many people had come because their first Star Trek experience was one of the J.J. Abrams movies. A lot of hands went up. I don't know if that would be the case today, but at that time, at that moment, there were a lot of people who were brought in from that. And what I worry about now is that if we're filling these hours of streaming television and uh, cinema time for any franchise with a lot of those wink and a nod back to the audience to say, this is for you because you remember this moment, how many other potential people are we leaving out? Now, I hope, I hope that I'm very wrong in a show like Lower Decks is the one that bridges the gap, where people who've been watching for 50 years get it and they laugh at the jokes, and the people who are brand new to it still laugh at the jokes, but then they go figure out why they didn't get certain other jokes, you know? I mean, that's a fair point. We've talked about this on the show before, and I know that you have to look at all of the elements, you know, to create the one singular product, and, you know, and, and even if the nostalgia or the cameos, the references, if they all work together, I think that's great. But you also have to take a look at it from the merit of the writing and the merit of the actual idea of that episode. And if, you t- if you're leaning on nostalgia too heavily, you can actually take all the nostalgia mentally out of the equation of the story, and you're left with what the story is or isn't saying, and does that actually stand on its own? Right. Right. So it's just kind of like any kind of structure. As a writer and a storyteller, the structure has to hold. You have to have a solid foundation for it, and then you add the details. But if you lopside the details and becomes too top-heavy, it's going to eventually fall. I think a lot of this is, is so... I, I, and, and he was mentioning also that that the the TV shows now feel more cinematic, and I think yeah. I think it was Frakes who who described it as now when you're making Star Trek, they encourage you to shoot the thrill or film the thrill. I think or he, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he yeah, said something yeah. along those lines, and he's right. It looks very different now than it did back then. It is about thrill. It's about this big moment. Everything is cinematic. The camera work is cinematic. The lighting is cinematic. The story structure is more cinematic, mm-hmm. and so something about but but it didn't it didn't used to be like that. But I think now audiences they're at least they're afraid that audiences are demanding cinematicness in their television. They're demanding that level of production value. So I wonder if that is also affecting this because long running franchises and there is a longer running one than Star Trek, which we can bring up. <laughs> um, that has even someone who might bring it even up. more hours. Yeah, yeah. Um, and. Uh, it, it only recently has kind of run into this problem of having to go back to nostalgia. Should we talk about that now or should we take the next question? Well, I, 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 I want you to hold on to that yeah. thought and we will take yeah. the next question. But, uh, that. but as you're talking about those long-running uh, running franchises, and we haven't really gotten into James Bond, but I, I've said this on the show before and I'll say it now to throw out another example. I, I thought it was a very clever thing that they did when they literally rebooted the James Bond franchise when they started over with Daniel Craig. We had had these multiple movies over decades that had a very loose, I, I, I don't want to say canon because it's not even the right word for it, but uh, loose connective threads where you felt like, okay, from one to another I might be in the same world, or here's a, a plot detail that connects them, and, and that's fine. That was more than enough for me to feel like I was just watching all stuff in the same franchise. Then you get around to Daniel Craig, like, nope, wiping the board clean, starting over, this is the James Bond story starting now. All right, But they also found the nostalgic elements and decided to reintroduce them bit by bit and justify them into this new James Bond's world. Right. 
to me, that hit the sweet spot. Interesting. Regardless of the story, mm -hmm. you know, uh, because at a certain point, those elements became uh, not, not a joke, but they became almost too iconic. And you would see an Aston Martin, or you would see uh, a, a vodka martini, or whatever the case may be, and just go, oh, sure, that's a James Bond thing, but why? You know, another interesting example of that is the Ron Moore Battlestar Galactica, which was a complete oh, yeah, reboot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Complete reboot. Did not happen in the same universe and the same continuity as the previous series. Yeah. But every once in a while, there would be a little thing. Like, yeah. when okay. they, they showed the rogue Cylons that said, by your command. Yeah, right, you know, yes. and, like, yeah. and then they used the theme music, and the they waited for the final right. episode, right, right. and and then they use the theme music yeah. from the original. Yeah. But I'm glad you brought up Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> and this is where James and I made it part ways. <laughs> now, I've, I've watched enough of it to have at least an informed opinion. But my issue with Battlestar Galactica is that if they wanted to tell the most original story, then why did they have to lean on some of the similar names, phrases, etc.? Because they didn't have to. You didn't have to call Lee Adama Apollo. But they chose to. You didn't have to call Kara Thrace Starbuck, but they chose to. Mm -hmm. It works either way. If you're going to give them real names, call them Lee. You know, call Karen Thrace. You know, call, don't call Boomer Boomer. But I, I may not have watched it. But you don't have to. That's the point. <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. Like, because he has to watch it. Oh, no, but I'm saying a lot of people may not, may, may not have yeah. been drawn to it then. Like, like, but see, that's the thing that turns me off of it. Okay. Right. See, that's, that's the difference. You know, that's the issue with nostalgia. Sometimes we're coming from 1978's generation, you know, watching Battlestar Galactica, you know, with Richard Hatch and Dirk Benedict as Apollo and Starbuck and, you know, uh, I, I'm going to be 34. Don't look yes. Right. I, I thought you were 21. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yourself, you know, but there is that. And then we're still in that same kind of pop culture culture enthusiasm and in, 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 in our age, because we're both 21, you know, where we know BSG now and Bascar Galactica before, but things like using the word frack or Felgercarb or using pyramid, well, they didn't do pyramid right, and BSG, and triad, shame on them, shame on one more, but even so, they're still there, the names are still there, so you can, it exudes the nostalgia factor, yeah. and I don't think they needed to go that way because they were original enough to not have to use those nostalgic no, I, I, I get that because then I got caught up in the ooh, who's the new Starbucks? Who's the new Boomer? Yeah, oh, instead of, instead and so there was us, Jolly. This is a retelling. There's Jolly. There was no Jolly. Yeah. Fail. Uh, <laughs> let's go to next. Uh, please introduce yourself. My name is Andy. Well, Andy. Andy. Hello. How unique. I'm here at a Mission Log uh, panel at the Star Trek convention. Incredible. How are you doing, John? Good, good. Um, oh my God, so much to talk about here. The mic is yours. I was ready to talk about Battlestar Galactic. You brought it up already. I was ready to talk about uh, James Bond. Um, I'm a fan of things, which by nature makes me nostalgic. I love things that are great. Good things are fantastic. And I like to think about the things that are great that I like about those things, which Good. makes me nostalgic by nature. Uh -huh. When people create new stories, new things to tell, what they're really doing is they're trying to create future nostalgia yes for those mm -hmm. things they're creating a, 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 a an equity of nostalgia mm -hmm. and i have a bank of nostalgia that i collect over the years all the quotes of the tv shows and the movies and the songs and whatever the heck i'm nostalgic for and and um when you feed me off of your equity the right amount of nostalgia it's tasty and I love it and I can wrap my arms around it or enjoy it. And when you overdose me on it and empty my bank, I, it's too much. And, and as I did the fine line, the fine line that they have to walk in feeding us just enough, enough nostalgic equity to keep us coming back while still delivering us something new that will challenge us, and we're all Star Trek fans here, we all want to be challenged, I think. I hope. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, it's such a tricky line. I want to talk about the, the, the crossover episode, the Strange New Worlds crossover episode, because that right there, Boimler is Mr. Nostalgia. Yeah, To put Boimler into an area of Star Trek where he could just be the nostalgia generator right was brilliant and if i have to watch another episode like that it's going to be too much mm -hmm. but that was go. perfect yeah. it's it's 
there's something about walking this line that, that, that really made me think. And then I just want to add in, I thought about classic rock, which I'm very nostalgic for. Music. Um, I don't know what my point was. I, well, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up music. Because, because well, when, at the beginning you said, well, what do we want to talk about? And I thought, I'll talk about James Bond, because I know he likes James Bond. Yeah. Metal Star Galactica, because I like it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Good for uh, you. It's a good, good show. show. It's a fantastic show. Yeah. I like both of them. Yes. And, and I'm going I'm to challenge you, Norm, on this right now. I so love this. You know I love this. Who said the words? It doesn't matter whether he's Lee or Apollo. Why are you upset about it? Because you can always go, if you're going to create something new, I like something new. If it doesn't matter, uh, Lee is not a new name. No. It is less unique than Apollo, and you're right. It, does, it, it, it definitely pulls from that. Mm -hmm. But what makes you be upset about something like that and I don't know how upset you really are. Like, I don't really. He's fuming. Yeah. I can hardly say next to him. I'm, I'm literally melting the leather on James's back. I see yeah. that the red coming yeah. off of yeah. the top of his head. Um, but, but when he said, it doesn't matter, my first thought was, then why does it bother you? Because, because, the, thing is that, because the story is still new. No, I agree. The story and the structure, not really. <laughs> it's, it's almost... But, and they didn't want to tell something new. They were telling the story of Exodus. That's a very old story. It's a creative way, like having those be their call signs. I, I thought that was super creative. I like that. I had the same reaction to that as when I watched Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet talk about nostalgia. Uh -huh. We go all the way back to Shakespeare. Sure. But my long sword is a brand of pistol. But you know, that's, that's, that's brilliant. I mean, that's brilliant. Tibble is still Tibble, so yeah. So yeah, that's, that's all I got to say, guys. Thanks, yeah, thank you. Well, go back, going back to music, though. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, no I, I think that's a great point because I, this is my opinion, and I know that I have very strong opinions and I have hot takes. But I like original music, and I think that when sampling is done and people are getting credited because how good their music is after having a sampled hook being part of that, I think that is not original. And they're giving credit for that music. I agree completely. Yeah. Right? I'm not saying that it's not good. I'm saying yeah. that they shouldn't get the kind of credit it gets because they're using somebody else's work. They want the artist. Exactly. Yeah. I totally get you. All right. I think we have just a few more minutes, and I absolutely want to get to these uh, next three comments. So uh, we'll probably have to cap it at that. But, you know, you can corner us in a hallway and tell us why our opinions are wrong. You do that anyway. So uh, <laughs> I'm doing that to James, and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We did that in the car to each other on the way over here. So that, that was our <laughs> line, yeah. Uh, um, let's, uh, let's hear from our next. Please tell us your name. Hello. My name is Trisha, Mission Log patron. Hello, Trisha. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Um, so, you know, you're kind of hinting up Doctor Who, bit of a thing for me. Yes. Um, what, what I was thinking, though, while you were talking was, in terms of nostalgia and creating things to get the old fans in, to get the sales, to get the ratings, whatever, my thing that I always think about is the why and the how. So, if you compare The Force Awakens, A New Hope, Redone, mm -hmm. versus bringing back David Tennant, which I'll circle back around to in a second, <laughs> versus Picard season three. Why did they do it? And then how did they choose to do it the way they did? Because I was a Star Wars fan from when I was like 12. I went to see The Force Awakens. I enjoyed it for what it was. If I wanted in episode seven, that was Frankie on Nostalgia, the Legends books were right there. Where were Jane and Jake and Anakin? Where were they? And Disney made the decision that instead of going for the nostalgia that the people who grew up with it and who were obsessed with it knew, which was the Legends books, they went with the cheap way of just remake A New Hope, which ended up eventually fizzling out because they didn't have a plan. Right. Take with Picard Season 3. You had Picard Season 1 and Season 2 where they were trying to do original stories, still with Picard the character, but more character-focused, less mention of beloved characters. They didn't mention Beverly's name for two seasons, and I'm still bitter and twisted about it. <laughs> and see what she's wearing, folks? Uh -huh. Yeah. Beverly's best. But they, you know, fans were having mixed reactions to it. Fans wanted to know, where was Beverly? What was Jordy doing? So for season three, that's what they gave you. They gave the fans, ostensibly what they were asking for, an original Picard story, but with the characters we knew and loved, showing where they were, but they were different, they had aged, although Beverly was still a badass, they had done these different things. So the reason, the how was different, but the why was the same. And now we have David Tennant coming into Doctor Who, where I question the why, 
Um, <laughs> being that, you know, a lot of people didn't like Jodie Whittaker for a variety of reasons. I don't want to say, you know, whatever, but, you know, some of them were sexist, sexist reasons. Some yep. of them were, you know, more sexist reasons. More sexist reasons. <laughs> some of them were legit. People, some people just didn't like the run. Legitimately but, not liking Chris Chib- Chibnall's writing is, I think, legitimate if you didn't like it. That's true. Yeah, that's you know. true. And so, but why go to David Tennant? Well, yeah, and that, I think, is... <laughs> that that is what what I find fascinating because we're talking about a franchise that has been running since 1963 that has done an excellent job of reinventing itself with without hard rebooting itself. It's the same character, the same continuity, the same timeline, and guess what? They figured out a way to keep bringing new audiences, occasionally have some throwbacks to the past with the Daleks around the Master, around things like that. But it was generally new stories. But now we get to a point. We're suddenly at a point where the audience was so, uh, I guess they just felt that the audience was so turned off by new stuff that they're not only going back to David Tennant, which is the first time they've ever done that, but they're going back to two of his companions, Donna and Wilf. They're going back to Russell T. Davies, the showrunner from 20 years ago almost, and they're going back to Murray Gold, the composer. So what is it about now? And that, and, and that's why I wonder if, like we were talking about before, if it's something about our present culture, you know, that, that is making people say, I'm, I'm losing interest in seeing new things. Yeah. I don't know if that's it or not. It might be. Um, and I think that is actually the perfect place that we end the conversation and leave that uh, enormous hanging question over our <laughs> audience. I apologize to the two folks who we didn't get to. Please find us because we can carry on this conversation. We can carry it on at uh, podcast.roddenberry.com and at Mission Log. We can carry it on even better at our Discord. Even better. Patreon.com slash Mission Log, which will get you to our private Discord. And seriously, it, it never ends there. And I say, Scott Master, the This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.